what's up? Welcome to the Mix Mix Podcast. I'm Veha. And today I'm running solo. Masami couldn't make it today. Um so it's just me. And so I'm sorry because it's probably gonna be a little bit more it's definitely gonna be a little bit more boring. Um just because not only are we gonna talk about something not as entertaining um, well, I mean, it depends on your view, but we're going to be talking about the history of art renaissance in the the early renaissance, the Italo-Byzantine time period, all the way up into the Baroque. And we're going to be talking about the art history, mostly focusing on European art, because, yeah, I'll tell you why we're going to be doing this today. I'm not trying to focus and be like, super into art that's not what's going on here even though i do love art um there's just a few reasons that i feel like um i'm gonna do this episode today but before that i have a would you rather question for everybody listening and um myself i guess so would you rather create art that gets you rich and famous Or, whatever you paint comes to life. So, here's the question. If whatever you paint comes to life, is it alive? Like, like, is it come out the way you imagine it? Or does it come out the way your hand draws it? And I think um, that determines the answer for this question, right? Because if you paint, like, money, but you're really bad at painting or whatever then you're still going to get money. But if you're really bad at painting, then it's going to be really hard. It's going to be more incentive for you to just learn how to paint really well. And so let's go with if you, if whatever you paint comes to life, if it comes to life and it comes out the way you actually painted it, I I personally would probably still pick whatever I paint comes to life. Um, That would still be really cool for me, I think. It would just be really fun. I just draw monsters all the time, just, yeah, <laughs> um, I can definitely see how, like, creating things to get you rich and famous, um, that would probably turn you into someone like Raphael, who we will talk about today, the famous artist, the famous artist, and, um, yeah, um, okay, so, let's talk about, a little bit about, before we get into this art stuff, you know, like, Masami's not here, you know, and I don't have anyone I'm, like, interviewing or talking about, um, and I'm just an average person who really just wants to, like, pursue knowledge and learn, and let me just make sure that I'm still recording real quick, yeah, we're still recording, okay, that would have been super awkward, (laughs) um, and I'm just here, I just want to learn and um, expand my horizons and learn from multiple perspectives. But the problem is I don't have anyone here to ground me or to like offset me or help me to like try to see from another perspective. So it's going to be a little bit hard and I hope anybody listening is going to be, um, a little bit more patient with me, you know, and, um, and a lot of the views I share now, cause I'm young, I hope, that um, maybe they change in some way, or maybe I have like a like a broader view, or you know, 
um, hopefully my views um, change in some way, and I'm hoping to learn more in the future. Of course, if I believe everything I believe now, then in 30 years from now, then I don't think that I'm going to that that wouldn't be successful for me. I wouldn't I wouldn't look back and be like, wow, I'm so successful. I'd look back and think like, wow, I didn't learn or grow during all this time. That being said, um, on another note, so end that thought different thought now um you know i've been i listened back to a couple of the podcasts and man this this is like a this is a platform for me to like kind of express the way i feel and like think about things but like oh my god i sound so fucking soft i sound like oh my god like sorry excuse my language there I I feel like I sound so stupid, like, oh, man, like, I listen back, and I'm like, man, you sound so softful, but then I, I think, I thought about it, and I'm like, to that thought, bitch, I like sounding cute, so shut the fuck up, okay, and uh, so I'm gonna I'm a sound cute if I want, and I'm gonna swear if I want, I'm gonna, this is, I want to feel free in this area, of learning i want to feel free to be who i am and learn and try to approach things in like a reasonable way and try to like um be aware of like other people's feelings as well and i don't want to hurt anybody um but i also want to feel comfortable in my own skin when i talk and stuff you know like i don't i don't want to i don't share this podcast with um my friends or family just because like I want I want to feel comfortable in what I say and everything and like anybody else that listens to it um that's fine and I I do have like other ideas that I do want to share with my mom specifically and there might be some specific episodes I will share with friends and family but for the most part I don't want I don't go about like promoting this thing because it's more it's more like for me, it's just, like, if anybody else listens, that's fine. That's great. I'd, I'd love it if, like, strangers listen to it. But um, I'm not trying to go out and promote this to my friends and family just because, I don't know. I just don't feel like I'd be as comfortable being myself. Because, like, in life, I feel like I personally and probably other people also go about giving people certain views and perspectives of yourself that are genuine but maybe not fully who you are like I go about trying to be respectful and kind to people and I really like that and I want to keep that up I want to keep trying to think of other people and grow and change but also when I'm by myself man I curse like a motherfucking sailor right and I want to feel comfortable to be able to do that shit I want to be able to talk the way I think, and be able to, like, as I express things, um, hopefully you can see that I'm trying to be as genuine as I can, um, and maybe I'll talk to someone, or something will happen, and it'll change my mind right then and there, or maybe I'll have to think about it, but my, I'm hoping that I can keep an open mind, and my mind will change, my thoughts will change towards whatever I'm talking about, to whoever I'm, whoever I'm talking about that hopefully I can hold multiple perspectives and try to come to my own conclusions 
um, I'm young still, and I'm still trying to find myself, and yeah, that was a weird long tangent, but I just wanted to set some more expectations of, like, what I really expect from this whole thing. That being said, um, so end that thought. Okay, so that being said, I have, let's go to the art that we wanted to talk about. Um, okay, so the reason I'm I'm going to be talking about this, right, is because I've been privileged enough to fall under the circumstance where I am able to, I was, I was able to find a job to where I work every day along with going to school full time, but the job also helps me pay for school. So I'm working a lot right now and trying to do all of these things along with this podcast, but because I have the access to be able to go to school, which I am aware, like a lot of my homies and stuff like would definitely love to go to school if they could, but they, but they can't. And so, because it costs a shit ton of money. And so I figure, fuck you fool. Like, I don't care. Like, look, I'm going to give you guys an example. This is, I'm titling this SL history of art Renaissance to Baroque, but SL means short lesson. And hopefully, as I do this podcast, we can do short lessons or short learnings, you know, and like, we can learn together. And maybe I'm not always the one sharing it. But these are the things that I've learned from whatever it is, or other people have learned. But I hope to share these things. The reason I want to share this is because I took this class for a general education. So like, for a civil class, so like, we have to take generals you know in college um and so like everybody has to take a class like this unless they test out or something like that um and they got the credit earlier and so this is just one of the history classes that I took and it cost me thousands of dollars (laughs) and I figure it would be stupid for me to not express these Like, to just learn these things and then drop them. That would be ridiculous to me. And so, anybody who wants to gain, um, this is, this is only who want, so, like, let's say I'm, I'm spending thousands of dollars for this one class, right? Uh, like, let's say it's about, I don't know, two thousand bucks for this one class, okay? Because of how many credits it is. And the things I'm going to share the principles and ideas I'm going to share with everybody who's listening right now is from um, the beginning of the semester to the first term. So like half of the semester. And I'll probably share the second half later. So if we split that up, this is probably $1,000 worth of information that I'm going to give right now or whatever. Like it can fluctuate, whatever, you know, like at least like 500 bucks worth of knowledge I'm going to throw down right now, or at least that's what I'm stupid enough to pay for. (laughs) And, um, I just want to help out like people who want to go to college, but can't, or people who want to learn, but can't, or who know these things better than I do. And just want to hear what, uh, someone who just learned these things thinks, you know, you can listen um, get that education, like, see what's going on, 
Um, and that's why I want to do the short lessons in general. Like, I just want to share things. I don't think of myself as a teacher. No way. But one of the best ways to learn and retain information is to share what you've learned. And also, like, I just feel like this information is out there. But why not just, like, if I'm already paying for it, I don't see why I can't just give this information away. Like, I have this knowledge now. I might as well pay for it. And so I have notes, and so you might hear me clicking around through notes and stuff, but all of this information I'm going to share. Um, if you want to listen, it's probably going to be boring, um, but we'll see um, if you want to listen. If you don't want to listen, that's fine too. It's up to you. It's going to be about art and some histories of art. It's mostly going to be about telling the differences between time periods of art. Um, what's another thing? Okay, I think that's just about it, um, yeah, all right, so, let's see, if, um, I guess we'll just start, okay, I'm just checking the time right now, so, um, let's start off with, um, the history of art in the early renaissance okay and so we're gonna be in italy around the 1400s okay and in this period the artwork we're going to be looking at is during the time frame it's categorized as the italio byzantine okay and so an example of this artwork would be from uh let's say Sorry, uh, my Italian isn't, um, you know, perfect because um, I don't speak it. But this guy's name, or, okay, um, I'll just express how, yeah, okay. It's by Coppolo, C-O-P-P-O, de Marco Lavado, <laughs> uh, Madonna del Bordon is the name of the, uh, the piece, so, um, this have this was, this is pre-1400, so this will be, like, around 12, this was made about 1265 to 1268 on tempera wood, okay, C-O-P-P-O-D-E-M-A-R-C-O-L-V-A-D-O, uh, Madonna del Bardone, uh, B-O- R-D-O-N-E. I'm not going to spell out everything, but my Italian's not that good. So if you wanted to look up that picture, or if you're working like I am, like I do when I listen to podcasts, I'll, I'll explain what it looks like. It, um, if I were to see this before I took this class, I would say it looks like uh, old rusty 2D image with the Mother Mary holding a weird uh, baby on her knee but this baby is also wearing robes and stuff and it looks like almost an adult and there's an angel on her left and on her right shoulder area in the top right and she's right in the center of the picture the background is a gold and there's the classic like haloing around her head um yeah okay so during the italio byzantine um these are the things you're gonna see um, you're going to see 
things that aren't proportional, just like that baby. Like it's not, it's not proportional. Um, there's going to be a hierarchical scale, meaning, um, the most important figure figures in that piece are going to be the biggest pieces, right? So if I drew like, um, like in this case, like if I drew like, um, Mary and then the angels and stuff like she is the focus, she is the most important. So I'm going to make her bigger. There's also stacking. So like if you were to like overlay your pictures, so like it's her in the background and then if you were to just copy and paste a picture right over her, that's what it looks like. That's stacking. But you don't put it right over her. You put it over her and then slightly below. So you can still see her face. Um, but then you see the next object's face. And so that's stacking. Everything's very crowded and busy. So like the whole picture is going to be very much like two-dimensional. And all the space is going to be taken out. There's not going to be very much empty space. There's um, stylized drapery. Meaning when they paint the drapery or they burn it on the wood or whatever it is, they the drapery just looks like it. it's just like a, a solid color with like dashes in it to kind of signify the wrinkles. The faces are going to be very two-dimensional facing either. F yeah, they're just going to be facing forward most of the time or maybe maybe at a three-quarter pose, um, but not very often either up, either straightforward or to the side um and let's see the hands are going to be very skinny round long kind of like if you like if you see a creepy cartoon it looks like like those those hands they're just like skinny and long fingered this is again this is all during the italio byzantine um art period there's halos classic halos behind the head so like just a bright golden circle or some kind of circle behind the head to signify a halo um and there's no space for the viewer so like in some art pieces that we'll talk about there will be um there will be like everything will seem kind of 3d and like the room will like take over enough to where we as a viewer even feel like we're in the room with the artwork in this case, it's not. It all seems to be 2D. And then there's a lot of gold in these pictures to emphasize the, the heaven's light. You know, like it's very godly. It's very, uh, this is something you'll see throughout a lot of the artwork we're going to be talking about during this time period. It's very much um, Christianized because of like the Catholic Church and many things like that. Because a lot of the artwork and stuff is painted for, for the church at the time. Um... A few things will change within the Italio Byzantine. Um, artists will start to focus on like making things bigger and bulkier. Their highlights will start to change, and they might even start foreshortening. So like, um, so like, whatever is in the foreground. Like, if you put your hand, um, if you were to like draw someone with their hand in front of them, exactly in front of them, and then um, it goes all the way back to you. The hand would be drawn a lot bigger than normal because it's being foreshortened. Um, it's like in the foreground. And bodies are going to become very monumental. They're going to be very big and like robust. And there's going to start to be space for us eventually, right? And um, things are going to be in like direct observation. And there's going to start to be 
interest in classical artwork and it's going to move towards the physical world as we see things continue things will become a little bit more realistic um i'm thinking do i want to talk about sculptures yeah we'll talk a little bit about some sculptures right and so like um sculptures are kind of depicted in a very similar way they're not as much foreshortened and things like that but eventually they do start becoming more foreshortened perspectives start getting taken and throughout all of these things throughout all the images and everything um colors are gonna or not colors symbols will be used throughout all the paintings and pictures and all these things to signify different things and i could go on and on about that kind of stuff but we're not going to um let's see so like you'll see a lot more detail and a lot more eventually near the end you're going to start seeing a lot more changes um in that regard um there will probably even be colors that will be added and it'll start to look a lot more um pastel like um let's see oh we can't we can't go on without talking about giotto di bondon and his painting of La Lamentation, okay? This is from the interior of the Arena Chapel in Puada, Italy, 1305 to 1306. And pretty much what this image looks like is it's when Christ dies, and um, there's pretty much there's like his apostles and... Um, all the holy figures have halos behind them, and there's angels above them, like depicted as like kind of like just small childrenish, and um, you'll see it looks very pastel like. It's starting to look like the robes are gonna start looking a little bit more realistic, and like you see diagonals start taking place, taking formation, meaning um, there will be like a way to get the viewer's focus um from like the opposite corner opposite area into a diagonal form to the main center in this case there's a big rock in the background with a tree so if you're like looking anywhere on the piece your eye is instantly gonna go to that rock and then the rock is gonna point you pretty much to in this case jesus christ um and they use diagonals to like uh get you to look at certain things um let's see Let's go to, oh, we got to talk about the international style, right? So this is, that was during, that was what was going on in Italy. But in other places, like we go to Northern Europe and things like that, um, we're going to start seeing things um, called, it's going to be called the international style. And within the international style, similar to what we saw, actually, um, there's going to be color. But instead, there's also going to be a lack of anatomy. Um, there's going to be a more focus on, um, instead of like getting the body straight, you're, they're going to be focused a lot more on like the silk trade and stacking. So like the robbery is going to be very beautiful and they're still going to be stacking. There's going to be um, less of an interest in like Rome and Greece and things like that. And like I said, there's symbolism throughout all these pieces. We call that iconography. Um, and these bodies are not going to be as, like, monumental and fat and, like, big, but they're, they're going to be very long, elongated, and the role of women are going to be, um, depicted a lot more, um, and 
there's also going to be um, more of a spiritual sense to these things. Um, there's a ton of paintings specifically that um, I had to memorize for this. I'm, I'm going to say it like when I have to memorize dates and um, specific pieces, I think that's dumb. I think that's dumb as shit. Like, I don't think that you need to benefit from this class by knowing the exact dates for certain pieces. I think learning specific principles from specific timelines and artist styles will teach you where, like, if you look at a piece and you tell, like, this looks similar to these principles that I've learned, just like we talked about the, with the Italio Byzantine, if you saw a picture with all these principles, then you could probably guess, oh, this is during the Italio Byzantine period, so it's probably before 1400, um before the early renaissance or even the renaissance so i know this period it looks similar to maybe this artist if you want to even go more in depth it looks like kind of like this artist style so maybe it's him or her and or whoever they are and just because of that you know it's like i think that's more than enough when you go into a museum and you can appreciate the art and the styles and the values that they put into their painting that's what matters in my opinion, I don't think when you look at the Last Supper, you don't need to know, oh, this was painted in 1495, right? You All you need to know is, like, this is Leonardo da Vinci, and this was painted during the Renaissance. Like, you can tell by the style. You don't need to know the stupid date. And that's my opinion on it. And I got tested on hundreds of paintings and no, needing to know the specific titles of the pieces the dates, the artists, everything, and I think that's fine and dandy, but I honestly do think that is useless information. I think knowing the artists is pretty important. Um, it's okay, but knowing the dates is ridiculous. That's absurd, and um, so that's why I'm just sharing the way I am. Um, when I do share a specific piece, I will share the dates and times and things like that, but I personally don't think you need to memorize that stuff. I only share those things, so if you really wanted to, you could look it up, which I don't expect anybody to do, but if you wanted to, you could look it up and look at the style and think, okay, I understand the Italio Byzantine enough. Um, that's my, my, that's what I think, but hey, whatever, you know? Um, I'm not getting paid to teach or anything like that, okay? I'm just sharing what I've learned, and that's honestly what I value. And so, you know, whatever. I'm sharing I'm sharing what I, what I can, what I am. I'm sorry if it's boring. <laughs> um, man, there's a lot we got to get through, so that's why if I'm going too quick, too, I'm sorry about that. I don't know, whatever. Okay, let's talk about uh, the Quattro... Quattro... Tro Cento, uh, Italian art. C or let me just spell that. Q U A T T R O C E N T O, Italian art. Okay. So during the fifteenth century um, Renaissance, there's gonna be some ideas. There's different types of Renaissance, by the way. Like um, each area is gonna have a different type of Renaissance, um, and we'll talk about that in a little bit. But Right now, 15th century Renaissance ideas, right? There's going to be a focus 
um, in Florence. There's going to be focus on more money. There's going to be an interest in Greece and Rome. And remember, this is the Quattro Centro Italian art. Um, there's going to be emphasis on painting. The role of artist and the viewer um, changes. So I'll talk a little bit more about that in a second. But pretty much we're going to, as the viewer, we're going to be more involved in the pictures now. It's going to be a humanism. And um, we're going to see the um, the aristocracy um, start to take place. Um, a few new techniques um, that are going to be shared, right, is going to be Alberti's grid. So and with Alberti's grid, um, pretty much that just means that at the... Um, hmm, how do I explain this? Okay, um, so... I'm just going to talk about a few things, actually, with this. Okay, some new techniques that are, we're going to see within this time period, right? This is going to start start kicking off the Renaissance, and we're going to see this, especially throughout the whole Renaissance. Like, this is very important. Like, they're going to use math a lot. They're going to use Alberti's grid, and um, what I mean by that, right, and, and one-point perspective. So, like, perspectives are going to change, Um so Alberti's grid is like using math to make a grid at the bottom to like determine the size and proportions of things in the foreground to the background and um, kind of laying them out in a mathematical sense. Um, and there's going to be like, for example, like with The Last Supper with Da Vinci, right? We're going to start experimenting with like single points or different perspectives, one point perspective where like Da Vinci, he like nailed in right in the center of Christ, like um, a nail used a string and kind of like painted Alberti's grid. So like just to this one point. So everything is painted to a singular point for the viewer to look at. And we're going to see these things. There's going to be tempera and fresco. So um, fresco is pretty much getting um, plaster and plaster painting. So like if you don't know what plaster is, it's like a clayish kind of thing. Like um, it's like a clay mud. And you, you, they would mix that with pastels and they put it on and they like paint it. And they like pretty much make a chunky drawing on the wall. Um everything's there's going to be triangles so like by that i mean like the godhead of like jesus christ the holy ghost um there's like these holy figures all in the trinity the catholic trinity um so and our observations are going to change we're going to start seeing instead of sculptures embedded into the walls and into the pillars and stuff we're going to start seeing freestanding sculptures and we're actually i'll have to point out the first freestanding sculpture that we know of um there's going to be a new realism so like things are going to start looking way more realistic things are going to um as we saw like things start to change within the italio byzantine now things are going to get even further to more realistic because it's starting to look more beautiful um, that's, that's a relative term, that's just what I feel, um, there's gonna be open space for the viewer to look in, we're gonna start feeling a part of the, the picture, we're gonna feel like it's painted to where, like, there's room for us to be standing within the picture and being part of it, um, man, that sounds so artsy, <laughs> um, 
let's see what else um things are going to become more monumental so very big and vast and powerful um there's going to be continuous landscapes so like um you were going to be able to see all the way from the mountains all the way up to like specific buildings and things like that the landscapes are going to open up and it's going to be amazing um it's not going to be the craziest yet but it's, it's still going to be opened up um there's gonna even the architecture is gonna have some art in it and we'll talk a little bit about architecture but not much um i'm also realizing that this is probably gonna take a little bit longer of a podcast than i originally thought so um we'll see how this goes other perspectives um we see is like a lot more foreshortening of like images and things like that um let's see okay we got to talk about a competition right um there was a specific competition i'm not going to get into details but pretty much um the competition um includes uh filippio brunelleschi um and when he made the sacrifice of isaac and like he kind of created this gilded bronze relief thing so it's kind of like a sculpture but like attached to like a plate so it's like um we're we're still in that like it's not a freestanding sculpture yet um and the runner or like other person who um was also who also painted who also made another gilded bronze relief so like a bronze-ish sculpture on a bronze plate um was created by Lorenzi Ghiberti, um, also doing the sacrifice of Isaac, and these two, um, this really kicks off, um, the renaissance, the early renaissance, is what we're gonna see, is, like, we start seeing that, like, um, this is what determines the path we're gonna go, is, like, um, we see that Bruno Leschi is, um, he's still sticking with the older stuff, but we start seeing, like, um, we start seeing, like, with, uh, Gilberti, he, um, he, he creates this very, um, beautiful, human-esque, um, uh, bronze statue, like, there's contrapposto, which means, like, a shifting in weight, um, like a, like a curve, like a distortion of these bodies, it doesn't look creepy, it's just, like, literally when you stand on one leg, um, if you st- stood up and you stood on just one leg, right, and your body shifts weights, and then you switch to the other leg, that's contrapposto, and you start seeing that here, and it starts looking amazing, and he, he wins, and this really kicks off, like, what we're, what is to be determined in the future, if you want to know what they look like, they're both just, like, within the Bible, the sacrifice of Isaac, so Isaac is on a, he's on a, he's on a pillar, his dad is going to kill him with a knife. This is within both pictures. There's an angel coming in. There's rocks and scenery on a mountain in the background. Um, and so we start seeing these things. And we start seeing Contrapasto becoming more and more powerful. And let's get to um, a specific person. We're going to get to Donatello David. All right, so Donatello, not the Ninja Turtle. Even though we're going to be talking about a lot of the Ninja Turtles, but their art versions today. Um, Donatello makes a statue called David. And David um, 
he has his sword, he's just kind of standing there in, like, a pose, but he has contrapposto, so he's, like, just kind of, like, shift his weight on, like, one leg, and he's, like, he has a sword, he has this fancy hat, and he's this very young guy, and this, um, this is what we see, and he, um, we can really see this in the early Renaissance, this is made out of bronze, if you want to look it up, David, um, by Donatello in 1428 to 1432, um, and this is actually the first freestanding statue that we see, so whenever you think of that purple Ninja Turtle, you can remember just like when he, he's the one who made the freestanding statue, <laughs> um, also, like, I don't know why, but when we learned this, too, um, my professor showed us a picture of his butt, and, um, yeah, I just want to say he had really strong sculpted cheeks, I guess, <laughs> um, Alright, so we start seeing it, Donatello is a really good sculptor, like, he, he makes, um, he makes St. Mark another, uh, statue you can look up, and, like, it's just really beautiful, 1411 to 1413, early Renaissance still, um, and we can really see, this is, this is gorgeous, like, the drapery, like, the idea of getting marble this thin into this drapery is just amazing, it's baffling to me, and it's just so gorgeous, um, yeah, wow, it's just really beautiful, um, okay, let's, um, talk about another David real quick, this is starting, this is 1465 to 1470, still early renaissance, um, we usually count early renaissance around the 1400s-ish to, um, about the 1500s, um, about, right, um, anyways, so, Andrea del Verrocchio makes another David. This David also has contrapasso, but instead of wearing a funky fancy hat, he has, um, and being naked, he has a little skirt, and his sword actually points outward instead of inward towards him. So now we start seeing, like, this, like, more of an exaggeration of the bodies, this, like, He's pointing outward and his like body is like kind of creates a diagonal to look through him and look out and there's David's or Goliath's decapitated head at his feet. It's it's a very gorgeous statue if you wanted to look it up. Um what's also really cool about this is um Yeah, no, nah, never mind. Um I don't got time to be talking about that. Let's uh let's go to who do we want to talk about? Let's talk about Masaccio real quick. He, uh, let's talk about his specific one, um, the Holy Trinity. Um, this is in Santa Maria Novella, uh, Florence, Italy. Um, this was painted in 1428. The reason we're going to bring this up is because this is a perfect example of the triangle, um, with God and Christ behind him, and then he's right there, and then the the people on his lefts and rights. This creates a very triangular-esque shape. We can see that everything is very symmetric. We can see Alberti's uh, grid through the ceiling tiles and squares above him, and we can see this um, he, these ar Roman arches around him 
Um, those arches right there are actually ionic arches, I believe. Um, anyways, the colors are very um, more pastel-y, but you can see he's like starting to look more realistic. The drapery is looking beautiful on it. Let me describe it for anybody who just wants to listen um, and doesn't want to look it up because I sure as hell wouldn't look it up. Um, so pretty much it's Christ on a cross right in the center of this picture. They're in this, like, Greek Romanesque, um, like, not a coliseum, but there's columns to the lefts and rights of him, and then there's an arch right above him, and it goes down into a building if you're looking at one-point perspective. Um, and to the left and right of him, there's two people, so there's one person, so he's hanging up, there's two people, one on his left, one on his right, slightly below him, and then slightly below them on the right person on their right is another person and then on the left person on their left is another person so we see this triangular diagonal x shape kind of point towards christ behind christ standing behind him is um a god god uh, with a halo behind him and his robbery um and it's really cool there's actually it looks like he's wearing a white shirt underneath right there, but that's actually the Holy Ghost as a dove. Um, so we see the Trinity right there, right in the center. Um, and this was actually made out of fresco, so that's really cool. Someone did this with plaster. That is pretty sick. Um, okay, we gotta... Let's get this going. Let's get, let's get it moving. Get, get it moving. Um... Okay, we'll talk about Masaccio. One more thing about Masaccio. Very famous artist, right? He, We can see the landscapes, the sweeping landscapes that we talked about before within his piece called The Tribute Money. Tribute Money. by And um, this is now in the Brandicassi uh, Chapel in Florence, Italy, 1425. And pretty much Christ is in the center of this group. And there's... Um, a couple people to the right, people were paying taxes, this was painted to show that, yeah, Christ paid taxes, so people would pay their taxes, um, there's a building to the right, and then mountains and stuff to the left, or, or behind them, on the left, from the center to the left, um, there's more pastel colors, there's a very emphasis on the drapery, um, not the best we're gonna see yet, um, but now we start seeing the change in heights with people we start seeing foreshortening people aren't stacking now now we're starting to see the perspective of people standing behind people even um yeah and everything kind of points to christ it, um with like all the multiple perspectives um if you were to get a string and point it put it at christ's head in this picture as well um, all the perspectives from the buildings and the ground and everything, this is all one-point perspective to the center of Christ's head in this. Um, we're going to keep it going, keep it rolling. Okay, I'm going to be done actually talking about this. We learned a super butt-ton of pictures during this time, but I'm going to keep it going. I'm going to skip it real quick. Um, let's go to the... You know what? Um... Gosh, goodness, what time, how long have we been going? We've been going for 45 minutes almost, oh my goodness, and I got so much to do, ah, this is stressful. Okay, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to take a break. 
we're going to grade it. If you don't want to listen um, to the rest of this, or if you want to keep listening, go for it. I, I don't want to discourage anybody from listening. That'd be ridiculous. But um, this is going to take a little bit longer than I thought. So if you want to just pause, take a pause, and then come back to this podcast again later, go for it. You know what would be good? You could listen to my voice as you go to sleep because this might be boring and it might be boring enough for you to (laughs) want to go to sleep. Um, But we're going to take a pause. I'm going to come back. We're going to do something. I'm going to do a grade it and then we'll hop back into where we left off. But until then, I'm going to hit it with a a quick pause. See you in a sec. Peace. Yo, what's up? I'm back. Okay, goodness gracious, I am, man, my voice is getting all raspy, I feel like I'm just like trying to get it done so fast, I'm like, (laughs) just trying to speak all quick, speak with the quickness, okay, so let's do a grade it, um, real quick, we're talking about art, so let's do art class, we're gonna grade art class, what would I grade art class in general in my my opinion um man i would grade it i would grade learning the techniques learning the things that other people have done um i would grade that as i I would grade that as a as a b um just because i feel like when people um do that they kind of expect you to do it that certain way and I feel like that kind of destroys the whole meaning of art but I do think you can learn a lot from those things and use those those things to apply in your own art and it's very great to like see someone who's practiced years and they can just give you their years worth of information in one shot um rubrics I think rubrics are dumb I think um if you want to paint a sphere if you want to paint rags and you want to learn shading and stuff you will do that yourself if you're super into art you will do that yourself um and learning those things um art is great if that is what you want to do but the whole point of art is to like express how you feel express certain ideas express um like glorifications of things you know which those things can help you do if you want to. But if you don't want to within art, you should never have to force creativity. Um, in my mind, that sounds ridiculous. Um, but hey, you know what? Maybe someone can show me different. I am aware that rubrics are created to show and demonstrate that you've actually learned something in that class. Um, and so I think rubrics are dumb. I would grade them a D. So I'm going to grade um, art class, I've always loved spending the time I do in art class, though, when I've had art classes, just because it's so chill, and I can actually work on the things I do, but, like, whenever I've made assignments for, what I do is, like, I just make a dumb-looking painting or drawing for their stupid rubric for, like, the first 20 minutes, and I get an A with that, and then, this was during high school, and then, (laughs) After that, I just paint what I want to. Um, And so I'm going to say art class in general, because of the gap time and the way I did it, I'd give it a, I'd give it a C plus, you know, Um, that rubric really brings it down for me. Um, I could even give, I'd probably give it a B, 
Um, let's give it a B minus. Actually, we're I, I'd give art class a B minus in my class. That's what I think. All right, let's hop back into the boring stuff. I'm gonna try to make it a little bit more fun because I don't. I think I'm just like running through this, but we got so much to learn. It's kind of freaky. All right, we're gonna get into. Now we're gonna get into the high renaissance we're going to start with the 16th century renaissance so now we're going to get into the actual renaissance baby uh, uh, uh. this is um a short time it's only about 25 years um the, we're going to see the renaissance man triangle um anatomy is going to be perfect perspective is going to be perfect there's going to be depth and now we're going to see true three-quarter poses okay so, um, who do you think we're gonna we're gonna be learning about when we're talking about the Renaissance? There's tons of artists like this, but come on, we're gonna be talking about the the High Renaissance. This is the peak, right? So, like, um, there was the Italo Byzantine 2D, right? I'm just gonna give you short keys. Italo Byzantine 2D up until like um, 1400s, right? Um, 1400s to about the 1490s or 1500s, we're going to have the early renaissance. Things are going to start to look a little bit more real, a little bit more realistic. Now we're going to go from about 1495 to um, the, I don't know, let's say 1430. Um, this is the high renaissance, the peak. Um, and then we're going to go 1430 to like 1500. That's going to just be more renaissance. And we're going to have tons and tons of different types of renaissance. That could be a whole podcast itself. Not even going to lie. Um, but we're going to talk about the peak right now. High renaissance. Um, we're going to talk about the three. Right, We're going to talk about Da Vinci. We're going to talk about um, Michelangelo and Raphael. So... Um, I'm just going to give you little things about Da Vinci that I learned in my class from my professor. Okay. Um, apparently, this was a newsflash for me. I did not know this, but Da Vinci was so famous, right? He was so famous that he was, like, able to get away with, he was able to get away with, like, murder if he wanted to. Like, he's he's just that famous. A lot of artists were, like, once you get that famous, you're, like, a celebrity. He was so famous that um, he could do a lot of stuff. He was known for being gay. I did not know that. So was Michelangelo. They go about it in two different ways, right? Like, um, Da Vinci apparently was, like, really flamboyant. He was, um, he had, like, a, a partner and stuff. But th this was just so, I did not know this. Nobody told me this. Like, I never, I, I, I was like, what? Um, anyways. So, a few things we're going to see in his, like, art is, uh, the, we're going to see dramatic lighting, uh, his pictures and stuff are going to be a lot more soft, gentle, there's going to be a mystical whimsy to it, um, to the backgrounds, you know, like, let's, yeah, there's a lot of things we can look at, um, there's going to be, um, botanical elements, we're going to see keen observation, and things are just going to look perfect. There were uh, illegal things before we go into his art, there were, like, illegal things um, artists weren't allowed to do at the time. Um, and so one thing Da Vinci would do is 
he would write things backwards so that way when he used a mirror he could he could look at his illegal notes that he wrote and um a few of these things right like um he would write he he um let's see like it was illegal to look at like dead bodies and like decapitate bodies cut them open and stuff um dissect them and see what babies in the uterus look like and he had notes of all these things he had notes of like you know you've probably heard of his inventions and stuff like that but he had notes of these things and he wrote it backwards it's amazing he also focused on drawing hands a lot um um and divine proportion um let's talk about the mona lisa right let's just let's just get it it is so expensive that the louvre doesn't even insure it it's so expensive that all they put all their money on security um for the mona lisa um and um when 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 he died when uh leo died um at first it actually went to one of the kings and he just put it in his bathroom for a long time um okay let's talk about the mona lisa so within the mona lisa we see um the triangle actually there's like this focus on the triangle um, let me try to get the Mona Lisa in front of me so I can, uh, dissect it a little bit. Um, boo, 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 Okay, so, we see the triangle. See how her arms are, like, a little bit wider, goes up to her head. She's the center. We see this very soft artwork, and you look at the background. It's very mystical, whimsical, and, like, this background type, um, Leo uses it a lot. Like, it's very whimsical, mystical. Um, artsy dartsy. Um, he um, she's at the three quarter pose, which we talked about. Just soft hands. She's a little bit hazy. The brush strokes are very hazy, but it's also very gentle. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I think that's all I really have to say on this. It was painted with oil and wood, and this was actually painted 1503 to 1506. Um, so very good very good point of like the peak of renaissance the start of the peak of the renaissance i would say though is the last supper 1495 to 98 a fresco on oil and tempera the plaster um again the alberti's grid one more time using the ceiling all focusing the one point perspective on christ's head like i said earlier he used a string and needle um to point towards christ's head um and this is the last supper I would say that is the start. At least that is the one date that I really like remembered and I permanently remembered 1495. And um I don't know why, but it's just like it's probably the best for the the class I'm taking at least at the time because it's just like very good point at like the start of the the peak of the high renaissance. Um yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like we can look at Leonardo's notes and stuff. Um, and the fact that he knew what a baby in the embryo even looked like is just ridiculous. Okay, um, let's go to the Red Ninja Turtle. So that's Leonardo, um, the Blue Ninja Turtle. <laughs> Leonardo da Vinci. We're going to Raphael, the Red Ninja Turtle. Um, and yeah, Madonna, he focused on Madonna. He focused on making things overly sweet, ideal. He was a student of someone named... 
Perugino, um, and he uh, so he implements his, his teachings and he does very calm and perfectly ordered things. Um, who do we want to? F- okay, yeah, you know what? Let's focus on the School of Athens. In my opinion, that is the most. Um, his probably his most iconic Raphael's. So what we're gonna see, um, you know what? Wait, is there anything else I want to say about Raphael? Let me check more of my other notes real quick. Um, okay, he um, he hated <laughs> Michelangelo. By the way, Raphael and Michelangelo hated each other. Uh, Michelangelo hated a lot of people. He's just very bitter. But man, I love that guy. Anyways, we'll get to him when we get to him, but he, Raphael hated Michelangelo, and he, um, yeah, okay, um, so, let's focus on, yeah, the school of Athens, um, we see that there's a dual nature of God and earth within this thinker's light, and there's a tight perspective within it, so, let's see, if you don't know what the School of Athens is, I highly suggest you to look it up, there's so much stuff going on in there that I almost can't even explain, but it's the classic one with, um, right in the center, there's, um, Plato and Aristotle discussing philosophy, and this is the School of Athens philosophy by, um, Raphael, um, this is now in the Stanza della Sangnatura uh, in Venice Palace, uh, Rome, Italy. And this he made this in 1509. Um, it's a fresco. And um, it's just beautiful. We see this great drapery. We see the columns. We see Albert, Alberti's grid. Everything's one-point perspective. Um you can see um there's there he actually painted um the other famous painters in there too so there's leonardo there's um michelangelo is right there at the bottom front um sculpting he's like making that box right there as michelangelo sculpting and um he michelangelo is more of a sculptor than a painter but anyways we'll get to that in a sec um but you see he painted him with like this ugly grimace and like that he made him like very serious and um it's just very funny anyways um let's go to the let's go to michelangelo uh boo b-u-o-n-a-r-r-o-t-i that's his last name he hated Raphael. he was like man man, fuck that fool um he did not like Leonardo either, but he can handle him. He's like, he, he's like, whatever, I'll just, whatever. He's whatever. He just, just did not like him. Um, you know what's crazy about this? Michelangelo, I did not know this, but Michelangelo goes blind later in life. Just like um, Mozart went deaf. Wait, is it Mozart or Beethoven? Man, I took a music history class too. Uh, this is another reason for me to just review this stuff. Anyways, he goes, he goes blind, and um, he also has the view that um, art gets you to God. So like, God gives you the ability to do art. He has this artwork in mind already, but um, he gives you the ability to like chip away at marble and things like that too. Um, show what God already has in there, um, 
so he focused on sculpting. He also painted, um, and he made perfect works of art. If you ask me, Michelangelo is legit my favorite artist. Like, he is just so amazing, so everything he does just amazing beautiful his very powerful bodies um i think it's very interesting um i really like dragon ball z you know who doesn't because dragon ball z is awesome um these bodies are very big and powerful it's kind of like dragon ball z type-esque bodies but like for that time period and clearly more realistic um he has optical adjustments so meaning like when we look up at a big wall, he disproportionately paints the body. So when you're looking from that view, everything looks proportionate. Um, and he does that from the ceiling and everything. Like it's amazing. He makes things perfect. Let's talk about his David, right? So the David, there's two. Uh, I favor Michelangelo. So we're going to give him a little bit more light than the other two. The other and Donatello. We already talked about Donatello, but. He was a little bit before them, so, okay, David, his David marble is just amazing, it's a, it had a huge, this, this marble actually had a huge crack in it, and a bunch of artists didn't want it, and he saw the angle in the crack, and he said, you know what, I'm gonna set it free, God, he gonna give me, he gonna give me the power, I see that something beautiful is within it, and he made this gorgeous, David, if you don't know the David by Michelangelo, it is the most, it is the most gorgeous painting, sculpture ever. The first time I saw it, I saw it on Spongebob when they were making the joke when uh, Spongebob was just an amazing sculptor and he, he made David, um, except there was a clam over his crotch, which in actuality, we see David's penis, but whatever. Um, the hands in that statue are actually a lot bigger than normal, um, and it's just to give you that proportionate look again like i said like to give you the optical adjustments um and it was crazy because they actually had to um yeah yeah no nah. um i think that's all i'm gonna say about that actually if you don't know what it is you gotta go look at it it's gorgeous he got the veins in there perfect the skin is so soft and it's just it's a gorgeous painting you gotta look at it the sistine chapel let's go into it right so um, he hated doing it. Julius II forced him to do it. There's rumors about Julius running around town, hitting him with a stick, forcing him to do it. And Michelangelo was like, no, I don't want to do it. Um, he had a complex relationship with him. There's a conspiracy theory that they were even possible lovers. Okay. Um, it took about four years to do it. And he, um, he built, he did it, you know, and it's like fresco. Um, people say he did it by laying down, but that was actually a myth. He had things set up so he was able to paint it while standing. So that, that's just a myth. Um, he, um, let's see. There's a specific painting within that chapel that he created later after his more Renaissance, high Renaissance years. It's called, um, um, actually, before we get into that, before that, we're going to talk about the creation of Adam. That's the one where people say it looks like there's a brain behind God, you know. I just want to say uh, that's just a very beautiful thing. It's very um, the buff brain theory, you know. Um, but it has very divine proportions if you wanted to know. Anyways, so the last judgment is the name of the thing he adds later. And it's so gorgeous. It's like there's two groups of people and pretty much like... Um, people are getting sent from, it's a crowded place, um, it's a little bit less than classical, um, than he normally does, and 
the muscles are more pronounced and um there's like groups of people getting thrust down to hell and um let's see if i can find it real quick i really want to just have i want to be looking at this while i describe it um okay it's very so like people are getting cast down to hell or they're getting sent up and there's a lot of symbolism i can talk about but i just want to talk about a few fun facts so um there's an art critic that um talked uh, bad about michelangelo's paintings so he painted this art critic um in this picture as one of the people getting sent down look at look this up the last judgment by michelangelo it's in the vatican city rome italy 1537 it's a fresco so funny so he painted that art critic um getting bit in the crotch by a <laughs> by a snake super funny um there is another thing that michelangelo did within this there so people who are martyrs are getting thrust down to hell people who are righteous and stuff are getting sent up michelangelo paints himself as a martyr as someone evil he who has skinned himself this martyr cuts off his skin, and he's holding his dead skin in his left hand, his knife in his right, and the dead skin that's just ripped off and about to be thrust down to hell with him is Michelangelo. He was clearly very... A lot of people have this stigma with artists that they're going through some crazy trauma or something dark. Um, and this does seem like it could be something, you know, like, I don't want to speculate but um, if he really tried to follow God, you can see like this this whole idea of like him being homosexual and like wanting to follow God, but also not wanting to break from the church. That can do a lot of things to your psyche as someone like that who um, doesn't want to come out or who can't, you know, in a in a time frame like that. And I I personally can't speak to that but i we can definitely see a lot of people having trouble doing it now and we're living in a time where um people are starting to do it a lot more often and like um i can definitely see like this this pain we can see this pain within michelangelo not thinking it's okay or being looked down upon for for these for these things he's feeling and feeling like he's going to be sent to hell um, trying to cut himself away, um, it's very dark, you know, and, like, you can read into it however you want, you know, that's just however, but that is how I kind of learned it from my professor, but, um, it's just interesting, and I thought that, that picture is just, that's probably my favorite, um, art piece ever, and it's, it's just so sick, also, like, how do you paint someone getting skinned at that time, like, that's, that's gnarly, Okay, um, we gotta get going, cause it's like, oh my goodness, we're barely at the high renaissance, and we gotta get, there's so many renaissance we gotta do, oh my goodness, okay, we've been appreciating art like crazy, but let's get to, I guess let's get to the northern renaissance, um, ah oh man, oh, I promised you this education, I promised you, I'm a deliver fool, I'm gonna deliver, fool. Okay, let's before we get into that, right? Um, we're gonna talk about architecture just a second, and by architecture, I'm just gonna say a couple of things. So we're gonna just talk about Renaissance architecture. There's no high Renaissance. There's no, 
there's none of that. It's just there's just renaissance. This is what we're going to talk about. Um, there's three types of columns we see. There's Doric columns, Ionic columns, and Corinthian columns. How you know all of these? Doric, um, so all these columns are just like cylinders with like lines through them. You know what a freaking column looks like. I'm sure it looks like a pillar. The only difference between all of these is the end pieces. So a Doric column has a door shape column like the top is a square doric it's a door ionic looks like the i letter an i onic door I ionic column it looks like an i it has like these swirly things on the side it's like almost what you depict as like when you draw a classical column i guess it looks like an i though Corinthian is the weird one. It looks like flowers fluttering out of it, out of the top. You can look up these specific things if you want. I know this is probably not the best thing to share on as a podcast, something you listen to, all these visuals, but hey, whatever. If you wanted to look at these things up, you could do it. Um, I'm just giving you free information, really. Um, let's go into... Okay, we're going to look into... A there's two specific buildings I want to talk about. Um, if I can find them. Goodness, come on, Doug. Where is it? Where are they? Okay. Um, okay. Well, I'll just talk about them. Renaissance, we're going to see more uniform type buildings. Everything's going to look more square, uniform-like. There's going to be some art in there, but not much. Um... And then we're going to go into Baroque architecture right now, and we're not going to talk about Baroque for a second, but I don't want to go back to architecture. Baroque, we're going to see more rounded, action-like um, curves and stuff within the buildings, and I wish I had examples to give you right now, but I honestly cannot find anything because I don't remember the names for those, but I did know them before, but that's all I'm going to give you. Let's go into Northern Renaissance art. Okay, so Northern Renaissance, let's go, we're in Europe now, I mean, we're in Northern Europe, we're going to go into, like, more of the, um, yeah, so, like I said, these are the people who did international style, so now we're going to see that these people, pretty much all you really got to know for this is the fact that, um, everything in the Northern Renaissance, they're going to focus more on, like, um, the things you would see, they don't focus on the body as much as we did in the um, other renaissance and the high renaissance we're going to see they're going to focus on background and details and um, shading and patterns and stuff but the bodies are going to look a little bit more cartoonish everything's going to look more not shaded as right um, things are going to be a little bit more yeah there's going to be more focus on wealth for like the middle class there's that international style like i talked about earlier let me just say what's in international style that you got to know is there's going to be costumes, gold leafing, court subject. There's going to be elegantness. There's going to be bodies. There's going to be rich colors, jewel-like. It's going to be a lot of oil paintings. Things are going to be indoors because you're up north, so it's probably cold. People ain't going to be painting outside, you know what I'm saying? Um, there's going to be um, genre pieces, which means people are going to be depicted doing their normal lives or mundane tasks it's gonna be iconography which if you remember that's symbolism um 
Mary's gonna be shown a butt ton. Um, there's gonna be texture, a lot of texture, rich details, three quarter poses, and oblique perspectives. Um, a good example of this stuff is the Lindbergh brothers. Um, they made a calendar. You can look up anything. The month of May or January is probably good. Um, and their calendar is called Les Tres Riches, Jueres du Duc de Berry. I don't want to spell anymore. Um, L-E-S-T-R-E-S-R-I-C-H-E-S-H-E-U-R-E-S-D-U-D-U-C-D-E-B-E-R-R-Y. 1413 okay that shows like pretty good it just shows the lifestyle of like the people in this class period um and you see the focus on details in the backgrounds you see their costumes are very colorful and the Lindbergh brothers also painted yeah they're just really good you you see like they do intersections of houses so like if they do paint the outside which it's not like unheard of but it's all snowy there's like farm and cattle there's tends to be like silo it's just farmland stuff and you can see people working on the inside of houses because they'll do like it's like they cut out a section of the house so you can see like an x-ray version of the house um oh someone you should know is uh klaus slauter he made the well of moses in 1395 so this is before the high renaissance is what we're talking about now northern renaissance is a little bit different um, and he just made this statue pretty much of Moses. He gave him horns because of a mistranslation in the Bible, but it's just a fountain and it signifies a lot of things, um, like the sacrifice of Christ and, um, a lot, yeah, there's just a lot of iconography within it. The, the sculpture itself is so beautiful. The robbery is amazing. You should take a look at it. The Well of Moses by Klaus Slauter. Um, um, let's see. Let's talk about Jean Van Eyck because you got to, again, this is, um, Northern Renaissance or Northern, um, yeah, Northern Renaissance art. And so like this guy, this is a little bit before, um, the high Renaissance, right? So Northern Renaissance art right now, before we're talking about early Renaissance. So this is before, um, all of the Michelangelo, Donatello, um, Michelangelo, Da Vinci and... Raphael, which we just talked about. This is before that, but up north. Okay, this is in Italy. We're going to talk about John Van Eyck. This guy is amazing. He does shading super well. He focuses on, um, gosh, if you just look up any of his art, it, there's so much attention to detail to specific um, pieces of like jewelry, headwear. If you look at the Gent altar piece, um, in 1432 oil on wood painting it's just amazing the the focus on like the detail on the on god's uh, headwear everyone's robbery it's just amazing um yeah let's look at robert campen his mordain altarpiece in 1425 so again this is 1425 so we remember this as early renaissance um and um it's just beautiful this thing is just filled with iconography like you should look up the symbolism because there's a lot there's the lilies the color white the color red the rowery the like there's so much that i don't want to go into it but you can look it up and it's just a gorgeous it's not gorgeous ah, 
yeah, I don't want, I don't want to diss on nothing. It's not my favorite piece, though, to be f- perfectly honest. Um, yeah, John Van Eyck, again, though, um, just painted so amazing. People look so realistic, and when he painted things, it's just amazing. He put so much detail into things. If you look at his Madonna with uh, Canon um, in 1436, there's even actual words written in the Bible that he uses that the priest is holding, and it gets magnified because he's holding glasses, which is a form of iconography. Um, and the glasses create even that we see a glare in this painting and a magnification of the letters. It's amazing. You can see the outside. There's so much detail in John Van Eyck's work that it's simply just it's amazing. It's it's really great. Um, Dirk Bouts. Um, the Last Supper, we see this, we see the perspective, um, we see, um, things, they're just, they're not quite as good, though, at, like, proportions yet, like, they're just not as good at, like, bodies and stuff, besides John Van Eyck, John Van Eyck is pretty dang good, if you ask me, um, but there's still, like, a difference within it, it's, like, not as soft as the other, as the high renaissance within Italy, um, but there is so much detail to things. Um, okay, we're gonna we gotta keep it going. Um, the man in the red turban is a self-portrait by John Van Eyck. If you want to know what that fool looked like, okay. Um, we gotta talk about the Albert um, Dewar, Adam and Eve. This is a perfect. It's a 18, 1504 engraving. This is a perfect example of like northern art where it's like they t- he took the the high he took the the more italian bodies and stuff like that and making them really good but he you can tell there's a focus on the background within the nature of the adam and eve this is a print so if you look it up you'll probably see it in black and white um man i just want to keep it going want to keep it going um yeah we're not going to talk about that goodness there's so many paintings and so many things i want to talk about but i'm gonna just try to run through it um yeah, we're going to be done talking about the Northern Renaissance. I'm sorry. We're going to talk about the Baroque. So let's get down to um, the 1600s. Um, now we're going to go into the Baroque. There's going to be a strong divide between the Roman Catholic Church and the Protestantism. Um, there's going to be an emotional response. Artwork is going to start to consider to involve the viewers. So people are going to be part of the pictures even more than before. There's going to be dramatic diagonals, rich colors, dramatic contrast of light and dark. This is what we call tenebrism, which is a dramatic illusion of darkness. Um, and so, let's see. Um the five characteristics of five broke characteristics we got to focus on are light tenebrism like i just said there's going to be a theatricality to it so there's going to be like a story like it's going to be like a movie almost there's going to be uh these pictures are going to take a place in time and space and there's going to be motion to them um there's going to be a counter reformation which things are going to be clear simple um intelligible art there's going to be realistic stuff there's going to be things that are going to stimulate you religiously. There's going to be suffering of Christ and importance of the saints. The um, 
role of the viewer is going to change. There's going to be movement, action, joining of heaven and earth, different angles, new modern science, role of the viewer, more personal. Oh my goodness, I'm giving you so much information, but here it is. There's going to be the, okay, we're going to talk about the Italian Baroque right now. Um, let's talk about, this is just going to be perfect. You can compare, I'm trying to give you all the Davids. Um, so if you look up all the Davids that I've said, they are all pretty good showings of like the Renaissance, the types of Renaissance and the Baroque. doesn't show you the Italian Byzantine, but you can look up that stuff. You're going to look up all the examples I've said, and it'll give you, I'm trying to give you the broadest, like the pictures that look the most like that time or things like that. Anyways, Gian Lorenzo Bernini made a David in 1623, and it's made out of marble. We can see this David is in action. He's curved. He's bending. You see this diagonal from it. There's like this movement within him. He's about to huck his sling, and he has this like this like concentration on his face. The robbery is amazing, of course. Like, and it's just like this moment in time, and it's gorgeous it looks like it's an action shot so like um it's like classical it, it's like you see italio byzantine people just standing there you start seeing like um more renaissance art people are not only standing there they got costumes and they start kind of like posing a little bit and then the baroque is like the action movie shot people running and jumping from explosions moving right in the middle of like a certain scene this is the baroque if you needed to remember everything, that is our snapshot. That is the Baroque. Um, you know, honestly, if you remember that about the Baroque, that's all you really need. There's, like, a bunch of different arts and things like that. I could tell you specific um, um, uh, pieces, you know, but I, I don't think I'm going to do that. I think I'm going to stop right there because that's really all you need to know about the Baroque. Um if you want to know about, like, the architecture, like I said, there's more round shapes. There's going to be a lot of symmetry, a lot of patterns within their stuff. Um, but that's all you really need to know. Is there anything else? I'm trying to see. They get more. We see things become a little bit more. Um, so there's action. There's. Um, oh, okay. You know we got to talk about. Man. Okay. We got to talk about Caravaggio. Um, this guy, he is focused. So what he focuses on that I remember is he is focuses on dark backgrounds. Everything is very dark, very strong tenebrism there. Um, and the action shots are amazing, right? Let's talk about Caravaggio in general. He has a painting called Bacchus. He had, he painted this young man and it's very, there's a lot of iconography in here that makes him very sensual. Um, this guy was also, he was kind of a pedophile. He had a lot of problems. He murdered someone out of anger, and so he was wanted, so he had to move out of the country, um, and he moved in with monks. He got monks so mad that they kicked him out, and he finally got famous enough that the Pope pretty much forgave him and told him to come back, and that's when he died on the ship. Um, he was very, this guy was very... Um, troubled, but he had a lot of followers after his style. 
um i personally do really love his art style how dark and gritty it is it's like a like a dc movie except like rated r like people are getting decapitated people are getting stomped on one very um like okay let's talk about a controversial one is the conversion of saint paul that he painted 1601 the emphasis so he painted it to be focused on paul getting he but like the thing is is like in this picture the saint he fell down he got trampled and there's like this horse above him and the emphasis is on the horse's ass and like um this causes a very big uh controversial problem for him anyways um yeah so like uh he started to tick people off with his art but a lot of people start to adapt these strong action movements, these um, depictions of blood and gore, which he really started. And he um, um, he started to get a lot of followers. One follower I really want to talk about is um, Artemisia um, Gentileschi uh, and her painting of Judith's, Judith slaying um, Holofernes. 1614 to 1629 i want to talk about the fact that women weren't really painting or anything because they weren't allowed to have like a mentor which like you really needed um but her father was her so it was okay women weren't allowed because it was seen as inappropriate and she was allowed because she actually had a relation with her dad um but if it wasn't her dad people would think it would be an inappropriate relationship she was also dark um she had a lot of um, things happened pretty much like someone tried to, this man raped her, um, he said, he said he was gonna marry her, and then he ended up not doing it, she took him to court, and he got a slap on the wrists, and just had to pay a fine, pretty much, he was in prison for a little bit, but that was pretty much it, so, in the Judith slaying her low fernies, she, with her art, she paints women as muscular and strong, which women were never depicted as that, but she paints them that way. And in this one, um, there she's cutting off this person's head. And the blood is just coming out of his neck. And um, the way the blood is actually coming out, it's actually mathematically correct the way the blood and arteries are um, going. If you were to cut someone's head that way, speci- like, honestly, the blood would come out this way. Which, like, how she did that is just amazing to me. I don't know how she would know that. Maybe she just thought it looked cool. But the guy, so the guy who's getting his head cut off is the guy who raped her. Um, But it's just a beautiful painting. And she is, this is honestly up there for me as far as one of these paintings go. I think the tenebrism is beautiful. The skin is just so realistic. And I really feel like it feels like the blood is squirting on us. And like the head is about to fall right into our laps. As you look at this picture, if you want to look up the Judas slaying Holofernes, it's a beautiful picture. Uh, we got to go into the Spanish Baroque, which is also slightly different. Um, we see like different shades. Let's, let's just focus on Diego Valesquiles, um and his last uh, Meninas, um, 1656. He made an oil on canvas. There's light, dark light, so it gives layers to the atmosphere and we feel like we're actually in the portrait with this family there's um a little girl mom and dad and things like that in the um 
the, it's a family portrait, and um, it's just, there's a lot of detail to it. Oh my goodness, can you tell that I'm dying right now? <laughs> oh my goodness, I'm dying. Okay, let's just skip to uh, Bartolome Esteban Murillo. This guy, Murillo, is really important because he paints the Maria we see everywhere. If you see Maria candles, if you see, um, like, the red and blue robe or the white and blue robe or whatever it is, like, the Maria floating, the way we see with her, things like that. He made the idea of Maria we see, Jesus' mom, the, the way, how we see her now. Like, he made that, the Immaculate Conception um, is where this all stems from. That is the name of the piece in 1660. Um, it was so popular without throughout Spain when the the people moved when they were like colonizing. Um, when they went to the New World, they brought a bunch of pictures and things like that of this Maria, and that is why it's so widespread everywhere. This is the one. Um, yeah. Flemish Baroque, goodness, okay, let's talk about Paul, Peter Paul Rubens, the elevation of the cross, um, yeah, it's just Christ, there's this very strong diagonal uh, sense from it, it's Christ getting lifted up from the cross, um, yeah, the bodies are very perfect, very, you see these, like, very, this emphasis on, um, on uh on the bodies it's just amazing um we gotta talk about rembrandt he's known for his eyes let's look at the prodigal son um rembrandt van rijen return of the prodigal son 1665 we see this pain in like eyeballs and stuff rembrandt is very good at he does these light brush strokes we see and like it kind of starts going away from like these crisp, very beautiful shadings to like these dark and grittier shadings mixed with these light brush strokes. And um, Rembrandt is known for putting pain and emphasis in the eyes. Um, yeah, there's so many things we could focus on with Rembrandt especially, um, but we're not going to. <laughs> um, there's a lot of things. I think I'm going to, we're going to be done. Um with those things of the Baroque, um, and I think that should catch us up, this is gonna be a longer podcast than normal, and I'm sorry about that, an hour and a half, oh my goodness, let's try not to get to the two hour mark, okay, um, unless, I don't know, anyways, let me just summarize real quick what things are like, if I were to put it in modern day terms, the Italo-Byzantine is more 2D. We go into the early Renaissance, which starts getting into more 3D-ish type of art, but it's still, like, wandering that 2D. It's like a 2.5D. Um, high Renaissance, we get that 3D art, you know, that art that looks like it's taking us in. There's going to be more perfect bodies. It's so perfect. Everything is just idealized. The color is amazing. Then we get into the baroque which is things are going to be an action movie things are starting to move we're starting to get sucked in and things are getting dark and gritty and bloody these are the basic aspects of what you 
will learn if you look at these things. And I gave a little bit more in-depth um, insight to specific principles that were within those time frames. If you want to look at the specific artworks, re-listen to this, do whatever you feel. My voice is getting scratched the fuck up. <laughs> um, and it's starting to hurt a little bit. Um, but I think that's all, you know, um, as far as this goes. And it was a good review for me. And um, I didn't give you all the information. I didn't make you study hundreds of paintings. I didn't make you do these things. But if you honestly, I honestly feel like if you looked and listened at those paintings and like listened to the aspects and maybe even looked up the words that I've said or whatever, you would honestly get the same or better education than I got. Because um, you, I'm sure like all those pictures would show you places to find other pictures. And the only difference is I put in, I had to put in more practice and things like that. But overall, here you go. Here's free hundreds or thousands of dollars of education just right here. And um, at least that's what I'm dumb enough to pay. And um, I just want to say um, before I leave, um, hopefully this is up um, before but I just want to encourage everyone to go vote if you're in America, you know, go vote, do your thing or don't. Um, but I, I, I'd suggest you do. Um, but you also have the freedom not to, <laughs> but I, I suggest you do. Um, anyways, um, I want you all to know that you matter and the things you do matter and impact other people and what you want to learn. Um, if you want to learn these things, I'd say that's great. And if you don't want to learn these things, that's great too. Um, I'm hoping that this benefits somebody. Um, maybe I can look back at this in the future and kind of refresh my memory. And that might be good. Um, something I learned this week, right, is um, um, with the whole pandemic and everything, um, having Halloween... Um, it's kind of a bummer we didn't get to have that, we didn't, it wasn't the same, you know, as the other Halloweens, but it was really awesome. Um, something I learned is, like, the things you make, if you want to have fun, if you want to do your thing like that, then I think you can, you know? Like, I think it's up to us to make things fun, if we want them to be, um... I kind of had to rip through this, but I probably could have made this more fun now thinking about it, which hopefully I can do that in the future and make things more fun. I really want to get good at um, sharing things in a really fun way, and I hope I can get a lot of practice with that, but I feel like I learned that you can have fun even when things aren't, um, like Halloween isn't the same as it normally is. You can still have fun playing games with your family or whatever or your friends, or whatever, I don't know, but, um, I just want to say, hopefully, um, I can find things fun, to, like, turning things into funner tasks in the future, and I hope you guys can, too, 
um i gotta end this thing because it's so flipping long but um yeah i just want to say hopefully you can keep learning um keep going and keep it growing peace